our goal is really to make sure that the best stories and the best products are reaching the consumers. Learn modern marketing that you can use to grow your business in today's competitive landscape. This is Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. Welcome to Digital Marketing Masters. I'm your host, Matt Rouse. And today my guest is Andrew Goliab. Sorry, did I get that right? I know I like I, I, I attested a couple of times earlier and then now I sort of forgot what I was saying how to do your name. Is that right? Uh, 25% of it was right. Uh, Gottlieb. All right. And Andrew Gottlieb. Sorry. I know as soon as I said it, I was like, oh man, I totally screwed up your name even after I asked you. Anyway, so... Andrew is the founder and CEO of No Typical Moments, which is an agency that works exclusively with purpose-driven and social impact-focused businesses to collectively advance humanity. He also co-authored the two-week notice, How to Discover Your Passion, Quit Your Job, and Impact Our World. So, Andrew, how are you doing today? I am alive, uh, and I feel like that's a major win in 2020. That is. I mean, it's been uh, it's been a tough go for a lot of people. And, uh, you know, as as with any kind of big, big, you know, sweeping change, there's always, you know, some people who don't do so well, but there's also some people who do well. And, you know, kind of depends on what kind of business you're in and that kind of stuff. I'm thinking a lot of people are kind of liking working from home for the most part. I mean, there's, there's some annoying parts for it for some people, but um, I don't know if your agency is all remote or not, but we've been remote since 2000. 13 or something. Yeah, we've always been remote. So uh, from that perspective, I did uh, have a private office building. Most of my day is in meetings on the phone with folks. Uh, so I did cancel that private office meeting. And now I'm working at my home for the foreseeable future. But everyone else has always been uh, remote working from their home or coffee shops as well. Right. We have uh, like a co-working space that we use like a nonprofit co-working space. Actually, I went there yesterday. Uh, my wife that works with us, Carrie, um, uh, the two of us went there and there was only one other person there. And uh, yeah, twice this week I've been there and there was only one other person. Yeah, I'm assuming co-working spaces are uh, suffering just because of the whole you're on it. You just plop your stuff down on a big open desk. Uh, I was my building was a private office building. So I had my own little private uh, cube. I got to go on a daily basis. So I think they're actually uh, doing pretty fine as you are pretty quarantined in your own little cube throughout the entire day and no one can really enter without your permission. Right. Yeah. The co-working spaces, a lot of them have kind of a mix of private and public space, right? Um, in the kind of public spaces where the one where mine is, all they did is they just like, they took out every second desk kind of thing. And then every second table is, is just has a sign on. So it says you can't sit there. Um, but I mean, there's still nobody there. So um, luckily uh, people are still paying for it. So uh, it hasn't gone broke yet. That's a good start. Um, so let me ask you this. How would you define a benefit corporation? Or is that the same as like a, a purpose-driven organization or are those two kind of different things? They're similar, but different. So uh, I think there's almost three levels to this. So I would say there's tons of organizations out there that are purpose driven and they have a very clearly defined mission to make the world a better place. They have policies and best practices to support that mission that they're here to carry out. Um, 
you know, and then, you know, if you are a nonprofit, that's a legal denomination, which is uh, a little bit different. Um, then I think there's also a distinction of companies that take it to the next level. So the example I always give is Patagonia. So Patagonia, uh, is very purpose driven and they've gone to such extreme lengths where they are a benefit corporation and they're also a B Corp. Uh, so a benefit corporation, and this was a terrible branding job on this, uh, because it's two separate, uh, entities, uh, operating. So a benefit corporation is an actual legal status. You have passed, which, uh, says I'm legally liable to this mission. I'm saying that I'm carrying out. And this, uh, can be really supportive. If you're trying to raise, uh, venture capital, uh, it will align you with impact investors. Uh, if your company is, uh, has the ideal of having an IPO one day and you have the benefit corporation legal status, uh, you don't need to necessarily answer to Wall Street's demands to maximize short-term profits. And there, uh, I didn't follow up with it enough, but I believe when Etsy went public, they were a benefit corporation. But I also heard that once they went public, some people were trying to dismantle that legal status and take it away. I'm not sure where that uh, ended up, but in theory, that's how it should be protecting you. And it's a great way to uh, attract millennial employees as well with that legal status. Uh, Now, the other thing I mentioned is a B Corp which is a different thing. So a B Corp is a certification you gain by taking a test and showing I had over, I believe, 84 points on this test. Uh, So it's, you know, the same thing as if you have the organic label or non-GMO, and it's something that you're going to be audited on and continually needing to showcase uh, that you maintain your 84 or they can take away your certification uh, label, which uh, I talked to a different agency once and they almost lost their certification. Uh, maybe for them, it wouldn't have been a big deal. But, you know, if you're a, uh, a food company and consumers are used to seeing that B Corp logo on your packaging and then all of a sudden it's not there. Well, one, you're going to have to recall all of those products and it's going to be embarrassing explaining to your thousands of customers why you're you're not as ethical as you've been championing for years on end. So it's something definitely to consider to make sure you can actually uphold that status if you uh, gain that certification. Right. So, I mean, when we were talking before, you had said that your company's mission is to kind of create a new definition of success in business. What would you kind of define that new definition of success? Yeah, I, we would say it's around uh, changing the paradigm of how we relate to one another, treat the environment, and what we say is uplift humanity to a deeper level of consciousness. So uh, a lot of that comes through in the client work that we're involved with, which focuses in on uh, a lot of the personal development and spirituality space with teaching people a wide variety of skill sets. So the way I try to explain it is uh, if you're familiar with the masterclass model, uh, where they have all these random on-demand subjects uh, that you can learn from on their platform, I would say that's kind of the smorgasbord of clients uh, that we work with and help to uh, market their online education products. And uh, in terms of the environment, I would say the the biggest thing we're doing is that we're a member of 1% for the planet. So uh, we donate 1% of gross revenue to environmental nonprofits. Good. And uh, it is interesting that there has been sort of a shift. And I mean, it's, it's kind of been a slow shift over the last 20, 30 years to try to kind of go away from that whole corporate, you know, management and profit and then 
everyone else is a worker or a peon in the machine kind of thing that is a replaceable cog, you know, um, to something that is more where the entire organization can be kind of striving towards a single goal or purpose. And, um, you know, I think it's definitely something that's going to change the way that business is done. Um, especially after kind of the shakeup that is, you know, the whole coronavirus quarantine thing that's been going on. I think that it's been a shakeup for a lot of companies and a lot of companies kind of been pushing their missions and values and stuff. Right. Um, but it's also kind of hard to, from a consumer standpoint, I think it's hard for them to look at a company when every company is saying, oh, we all have these grand missions and these grand purposes and, and all this stuff. And it's hard to tell who's just using it as like PR piece or something and who actually has, you know, a mission aligned purpose. Um, I mean, is there a good way that you can, I don't know, for for consumers to kind of look at a company and maybe discover if it's, you know, just lip service or if they actually have some kind of purpose? Yeah. Um, you know, there's a few things that you could do. So uh, I would say the the best way that is the best vetting is uh, checking out if they're a benefit corporation or B Corp. Um, if their praise is only coming from within, from their C-suite, uh, and they don't have any of those things. And they, you know, maybe if you're a software company, it may be harder to prove, but definitely if you're a, uh, a food and beverage organization, if you are a clothing brand and you haven't taken that step uh, to gain any of those uh, B Corp or benefit corporation status, uh, and you see all this fancy fluffy language on the website, then I think that's hundred percent meaning that they know they're full of it. Uh, and they just have some really great copywriters at their organization. Um, I would really, uh, you know, if you're just browsing through websites, you may not be able to discover it, but, uh, you know, if you were applying to work at a company, I would really drill into what exactly are those best practices. Like I'm thinking of this one, uh, marketing agency that I know of, uh, and they have this, a lot of very fancy, fluffy languages of how they're here to change the world. Uh, and it sounds like every single thing you would want to, uh, have implemented at a company, they elaborate that in the copy on their website. So if you were applying to that company, I'd really push back on them and actually ask what's backing up all these claims that you make of why this is a utopia organization that you're claiming. You know, it's funny talking about kind of pushing back on organizations when you're trying to get a job. Um, this kind of goes way back. So a friend of mine and I, we had uh, like one of us got a job somewhere and I ended up working at the same place as him. And then each time one of us would get another job at a new and, and preferably better place, we would get the other person hired with us. <laughs> and when we kind of split off to into doing like IT and, and information systems contracting stuff later in our careers, we kind of had this bet, like, could you still get a job if you could ask the person interviewing if they really knew what they were talking about? Because you so often in, in the technology world, you would have a higher hiring manager, an HR person who's trying to ask you questions about something. And it's obvious that they have no idea what they're talking about. Right. <laughs> and it actually turned out to be a really good way to get hired as a contractor. Right. Because they'd be like, well, they'd be asking me a question about something like, 
I don't know, like Microsoft SharePoint services. And I'd be like, it's obvious that you don't know what you're talking about. However, would you like me to explain how this actually works to you? And they would be like, well, we're going to hire this guy instead of all the other guys because he could prove that he knows what he's talking about where everybody else was just like, yeah, sure. You know, like just kind of agreeing, you know, yes, man style. Right. So there was some and. Yeah, it was strangely effective. And I think, you know, when you have something where you could demonstrate your ability and stand out, I mean, you don't want to be aggressive with people, obviously, but, um, you know, I think that kind of stuff still works. Um, so let me get back to it for a second. You were talking about people who are like kind of similar to the master class kind of format. And that's like, you know, authors, um, coaches, people in like the um, kind of thought leadership space, I guess, is what you would call them. Um, I think what is the goal to help those clients get more traction in kind of the world 2.0 we're in now? Yeah, I view uh, a lot of our work is we're trying to get the, in our worldview, the the best stories out to people Um, because it is, uh, it's such a crowded marketplace in Facebook world, Instagram, Google, YouTube. Uh, and our goal is really to make sure that the best stories and the best products are reaching the consumers. Uh, and so we help our clients with uh, all of their online advertising. So running ads on Facebook, Google, YouTube, LinkedIn, uh, for more of a brand awareness and lead generation side. And then we also support our clients with the, the backend sales funnel. So once you've actually developed a lead for your organization, what are you doing to nurture that relationship up to the point of sale. Right. And, you know, something that's funny that I was listening to a podcast the other day and um, honestly, I don't remember which one it was off the top of my head, but they were talking about the failure of organizations to follow up with leads after they're generated where they were spending all of their money and stuff. They're hiring agencies or they're doing it in-house and they're, they're dumping like all of the cash into lead generation. But once the leads come in, it's like their salespeople or their staff are kind of cherry picking the low hanging fruit and just letting everything else die on the vine kind of thing. And uh, you have to have that second step, like you were talking about, like all the way to the point of sale. Um, And, you know, companies need to have follow up process after that also. But there's so much loss at companies right after lead generation and not doing immediate follow up. I mean, I've just seen you've probably seen some of the same studies that I have where like, you know, the the drop off in interest someone has with working with a company starts at like four minutes after the first contact. And it just, you know, like an hour and then a, a, a day and then two days and it just drops like a stone. Um, yeah, I mean, that follow up process right after lead generation is so important. Yeah, and I'd compare it. Uh, I was going to add one other point of um, I'd make the comparison to, and this may be just a, a human part of the human experience of, okay, so I've seen so many companies who celebrate the the raising of capital, which is an amazing accomplishment, but that doesn't really mean anything. The, the true thing of what you're trying to do is turn that capital you just raised into more revenue for your business and pay back your investors and, and everything. So it's, I would say the same thing on the Legion side, you shouldn't be celebrating 
getting a dollar leads into your system, that's great. That's a KPI you should be uh, striving towards. But really, you want to understand uh, in advertising world, what is my return on ad spend? So I spent a dollar on Facebook and how much came back to my organization is really the king KPI you need to be paying attention to. Right. And um, actually, there's some kind of big news in the Facebook world today. Um, uh, Apple announced that iOS 14 is going to be disabling tracking pixels after seven days. Really? Um, Yeah, which is going to be a problem when you have a 28 day conversion window, right, on Facebook. Uh, That's a major uh, issue. Yeah. And uh, apparently people are going to be able to turn it on and off. Um, Which essentially means people are not going to read the condition terms and they're not going to turn it off, I'm assuming? I don't know uh, if it's going to be off by default or not. I guess that remains to be seen. But, I mean, iOS 14 is coming down the pipe pretty soon. So, And that's a big chunk of people with iPhones in their pocket. You know, if, When we look at the data on our campaigns, uh, most of the traction is through uh, cell phone usage. Uh, it's, it's very rare when we're splitting out the data that uh, leads and sales are coming through desktop. Yeah, I find uh, kind of the business-to-business side, we seem to get the um like the reach kind of based campaigns seem to be all on mobile still but the conversions are on desktop but for consumer it seems to be almost 100 percent mobile or tablet yeah we run mainly uh business to consumer campaigns yeah we generally do business to business um at our agency we do we do have some consumer like e-commerce based consumer stuff um but I would say a large portion of our business is kind of split between local businesses that have a physical presence. So like your mom and pop store, you know, lawyers, dentists, that kind of stuff. Right. Um, and then the other half generally is people selling uh, e-commerce products or informational products to other businesses. Gotcha. So that's kind of our spread. Um and strangely, you know, this is an interesting thing for, for all our, our agency listeners out there. I know we have some. Um, uh, there's been this shift in the agency world probably over the last, you know, five to ten years where everybody's saying if you want to make any money, you have to niche down, right? Niche, 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 niche over and over and over and over and over. And everybody who's industry niching now, if their industry wasn't one of the ones that got a benefit from quarantine, they're screwed, right? Like I talked to an agency owner about three weeks ago who is in the fitness gym space, right? And his business is dead. Like they dropped 90% of their business in two weeks, right? At the end of March, the beginning of April. And, you know, like I talked to another guy a couple months ago and all they do is restaurants, you know, so they're screwed too, right? Yeah. I mean, niching down is great, but I think you need to niche by focus so that you can, um, you know, be able to have clients who are in different industries that are affected by different industry factors. Right. So, like your agency and my agency probably don't see that much effect from something like, you know, quarantine or in, in some instances, right. We have clients who are going up and some who are going down. Right. But it kind of balances. Yeah. We, uh, we're mainly marketing, um, 
a combination of online courses, membership sites, uh, summits. Uh, so we did have a handful of clients who had some revenue tied up with in-person events. So I, I definitely did. I was one of those agency owners who said we uh, we really should be niching down to a vertical. I, I just through the roll of the dice and how the world has turned out, I chose a uh, vertical that actually is going to be growing uh, as a result of the new world that we're in. Uh, I can't say it's because I had some uh, magic eight ball predicting anything. It's just, you know, I'm actually, I'm genuinely just passionate about learning and I love online courses. I'm always reading books. Uh, and so that's why I chose this space, not out of like some Google search of market trends. Uh, but it's, I think it's going to really work out for us uh, in the foreseeable future. Yeah. And I think, you know what, the writing has been on the wall for that for a long time as, you know, kind of online learning has grown, obviously, over, you know, the last two, three decades. Um, And it's not going to get any smaller. Right. I mean, people are just going to learn more online as time goes on. And uh, even if, you know, let's say something magical happens and aliens come down and cure coronavirus for the whole world tomorrow people aren't just going to rush back to school and say, forget about online learning. Right. I think it's going to be around for a while. It's that space is growing. Um, you know, it's just going to get bigger and bigger. And, you know, our own company, we're doing our own courses and stuff. Like we have our inbox mastery course. that's out right now. Um, we have some other stuff and I won't get into all that right now, but, um, I think that you're right about, you know, maybe you didn't say, I want to get into this niche because, you know, just in case there's like a pandemic or something, right? Nobody really does that. Um, but I think that it's kind of foolish for people to go, well, I am just going to be, you know, like the marijuana store marketing place or the dental mail or marketing place or whatever, right? Like that one specific niche and have nothing else whatsoever, because you just open yourself up to, um, you know, there's there's leverage in, you know, in the marketplace that can affect your business really negatively. Right. Especially if you're in something like, you know, spa marketing or uh, and then there's like some legislation comes out that people need to be licensed a different way or something. It could kill your business and or something like, you know, especially stuff like alcohol, marijuana bars, all that kind of stuff where they can just make marijuana illegal and your entire business is dead. Right. So you want to make sure that you're diversified at least well enough that you could survive some kind of storm like that. Um and, you know, nowadays, I mean, we've been talking about it on the podcast a bit, too, is if you want to future proof your business, you need to expect that unexpected things are going to happen and you need to keep stuff on hand like you need to have some cash on hand and you need to have, you know, ways that that, you know, you need to run slim. Right. You know, and and um, you were talking about people who are talking about raising money for startups and celebrating raising money. And then they go out and they, you know, they lease a fleet of cars and they, you know, get a big office with a bunch of pool tables and foosball tables and free lunch for their employees and stuff. When in reality, they should be diving every single dollar they have into either making a better user experience, a better product or marketing. Right. And cause if it was their own money, they wouldn't spend it on those things. <laughs> right. Um, but anyways, let me digress a little bit. Um, so let me ask you this. Um, 
Is there anything that I haven't asked you yet, um, you know, about kind of social impact leadership that you think would benefit our audience? Yeah, I, I would say there's this duality uh, in leadership. So I've run into so many authors, thought leaders that have this very and kind of that organization I mentioned before who have a very, you know, utopian style sounding organization. Uh, I've run into this with authors that I myself was, have put on a pedestal and then we're working with them. And then I realized, well, they're actually, uh, I won't, I won't fully cuss, but you know what I'm about to say. Uh, uh, and so I think with that, it's not only creating this flowery, fluffy mission of how you're going to change the world. Uh, a lot of it is your day-to-day interactions and how you show up as a leader to the people in your life. So I think it's irrelevant that if you have this big mission to impact the world, but you're just a jerk to everyone around you, I think honestly, it just negates everything. Uh, and so I think it's so important to not only have this big uh, mission to make the world a better place, but then also so be connected just to the day-to-day interactions you have with human beings and making sure that you're still a good person. Yeah, absolutely. And kind of having that, you know, servant mentality that you're here to help others and, uh, you know, have some generosity and, and, you know, nobody likes to see the company that is like saying, Oh, you know, we're here to help everyone and yada, yada, yada. And then they just shove on shoving all the money in their own pocket. Right. It's, uh, yeah, treating their employees uh, like garbage, underpaying them, overworking them, have just terrible, stressed out work environments uh, that I think it's so important to uh, as the leader to be so aware of how you're treating your people is they're the ones actually, you know, doing the day to day. I don't want to call it grunt work, but like they're the ones in the weeds deeper than you are. They're the ones handling client campaign complaints. They're the ones dealing with customers day in and day out. So you as a leader need to be giving to them. And I once heard this uh, circle, I don't know if you've heard about it too, that uh, as the the leader, uh, if you take care of your people, uh, they'll take care of your clients. Your clients will take care of the money and then that will take care of you instead of going the opposite way around in that circle. I totally agree with that. There's, um, an interesting thing that came out in um, I was listening to the marketing book podcast and, uh, and one of the kind of repeated concepts that come up in a lot of the business books that get reviewed on that show is the fact that kind of your middle management and your C-suite employees are so isolated from their customers that they actually have no idea what the customers actually want, how they use their product, like It's just a complete separation. And um, they are also even, you know, from the frontline workforce, they're so isolated um, that they just don't have any idea what's going on. Right. If you look at something like a lean manufacturing process in manufacturing organizations where they have the managers and, you know, your C-level employees go through and they walk the sales floor and they talk to employees and they, you know, and everybody in the entire organization is there to try and how can they make or try to improve their processes and 
make the workplace more safe, make it more productive, uh, which in turn, of course, makes it more profitable. And I think that that's missing from other types of organizations where, you know, the, the customers who are on the front end or who are on support, the the upper management employees have no idea um, how that conversation is happening, how their customers are being treated, um, what's being said about the company, you know, from people. And I mean, you can tell when you call support for a place and the people just don't care or it's farmed out to some other agency and you're like, you don't know this product, right? Like you don't give crap about me. <laughs> like You can just tell. And, um, you know, and it, it hurts the organization so much, right? And that's usually why they got to do so much lead generation, right? It's because their their churn is so fast because they're burning customers' trust and loyalty so quickly um, because nobody knows what's going on on the front end. Um, so anyways, let me... I completely agree with you. The purpose-driven organizations are definitely the way to go. Um, and, you know, have a purpose for your company, uh, make sure everybody in your organization is aware of what that purpose is and that they have buy-in and that everybody's on board with the mission, right? Um, so let me ask you, if um, somebody wants to talk to you about, um, if they're, you know, an author, a thought leader, something like that, and they want to work with you, how would they get a hold of you? Uh, the best way is uh, emailing me. It's Andrew at notypicalmoments.co. Uh, you can also go to our website, which is notypicalmoments.com. Perfect. Well, thanks for being on the show today. And uh, I think we had a good discussion. And uh, hopefully um, we can get more purpose-driven companies going forward and, uh, you know, make the world a better place. Thanks, Matt. This has been Digital Marketing Masters with Matt and Carrie Rouse. For notes and a transcript of this episode, go to hookseo.com forward slash podcast. Join us next week as we dive into more tips and ideas to grow your business. Digital Marketing Masters is brought to you by Hook SEO Digital Marketing. Our show is produced by Matthew Rouse and Scott Burson. Mixed and edited by Silent Outburst Productions. I'm your announcer, Daniel D. Craig. We would love to hear your thoughts. Please leave us an honest review with your podcast provider. Your reviews help us help more business leaders just like you.